Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Good day and welcome to The Call, 10 stocks picked by you two experts, one hour. It is Friday the 8th of September. I'm Andrew Gagan. Great to have you with us. And our two experts on the show today, Ben Clark from TMS Capital and Mark Garner from MPC Markets. Welcome to both of you guys. Thank you. Good afternoon. Um, interesting point of where we're in them at the markets. It's hard to know which way it's going to go, isn't it? Um, and I mean, Ben, do you take into account seasonality? I mean, because obviously September historically is a down month. Yeah, it's normally a bit weaker. Um, and we have seen a little bit of a correction recently. But I, I, like, I'm still bullish. Like, I think we're in year one of a new bull market. So corrections along the way are completely normal and healthy. And um, maybe September brings one of those for us. But uh, look, it's, you know, it's to me, it's... Um, particularly looking at the American market that's showing some pretty positive signs and should continue to pull us along with it. So a lot of moving factors, of course, and a lot of results that we've all just digested. But generally, I feel like it's been pretty positive. All right. Mark, do you agree? Yeah, I sort of get the impression recently, though, you've been a little more bearish. But are you, have you changed your view? Uh, I do, uh, probably not necessarily bearish, just cautious, really. And just yeah. taking advantage of the fact that we can, we can get some pretty high yields in some of the hybrids and things like that. And um, you know, I think there will be, we've obviously had that uh, large spike with the um, AI rally in the States. And um, I think at some stage there'll be a bit of a settling period sometime between now and the end of the year. And, and then it would be a, probably be a good time to go shopping. But I mean, it's obviously timing. And I, I think I sort of tend to agree with Ben. We're, we're, we're getting closer to the start of a bull market. Um, whether it started or whether it starts in six months sort of thing. So but I think it'll be one of the better opportunities once everyone sorts out, um, you know, sorts out uh, the higher interest rates and comes to terms with it. And we can assess which companies do better and which managements cope better with that. Mm. Um, and we, you know, I think it'll be one of the better opportunities over the next few years to be buying. But um, yeah, at the moment, we're, we're still we're still remaining a little bit cautious because the numbers are just very, they're very muddied. Um, you know, there could be a, a second wave of inflation. There might not be. China's a little bit, um, has obviously got its issues and country garden and things. So as it stands, we're getting we're getting paid pretty handsomely to sit on the sidelines. So we'll just we're just sort of taking on things as they come um, and allocating allocating that cash. Yep, fair enough. Well, that's looking ahead, which is positive. But let's uh, look at the here and now. And the first five stocks we're going to be looking at: Bank of Queensland, NIB Holdings, BWP. Centurion Industrial REITs and its Australian Foundation Investment. Our stock of the day, AMA Group. Its shares uh, have resumed trading after the smash repair finished up a $55 million equity raising and a 29% discount to the stock's previous closing price. The group said the funds will be used to repay or help repay $35 million in debt and provide liquidity and working capital. Now, its shares had already tumbled around 40% this year. They're down a similar amount today, in fact off the back of that discounted capital raise. Uh, so, Mark, 
what is going on here. It's also had significant changes with the board and with management. Mm. It's still dealt with those issues uh, through COVID, which it found very difficult. And it's got inflationary pressures it's dealing with as well. Well, I think you should, you've almost summed it up. There's, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of issues with this and new board. And, and obviously COVID wasn't a great period. Um, restructuring debt as well. And they've found, and they've been a real victim of, um, you know, of the labour costs as well and, and a struggle to find labour in a really tight labour market. So they've seen their time to fix their cars and trucks has jumped by an additional sort of four days, um, which is sort of about a 30 odd or 30 to 40% increase in, in the time. So that's seen their customer satisfaction drop quite significantly. Um, and yeah, so there's, the, I don't really see it is a necessarily as a bargain at the moment. I'm obviously, obviously, it looks extraordinarily cheap in terms of what is it down about ninety five percent there on a five year. I, I think I'd be very much wait and see um, for new money um, if you've got them and you've held them this long. Um, it's probably a lack, probably a touch of lack of discipline, I would say, because um, I think you've had plenty of opportunities to probably. Uh, to, to get out of those and as, the, as the problems have accumulated. But um, I think you're, probably, you're largely stuck with them now if you've got them. Um, and I think I'd, I'd just like to see how this washes out over the next uh, over the next sort of six to 12 months. But I mean, they were one of, well, they they are the biggest smash repair in Australia, yeah. I believe. So yeah. they've, um, you know, if they get, if they get uh, themselves organised again and this cap raise and um, provides that working capital and reduces their debt, et cetera, and they stick to the plan, um, then I think they might be worth looking at. But at the moment, I think there's too many, there's too many uh, negative moving parts um, to touch it. I'm just wondering why it's, it's prompted me to think too, given where uh, technology of cars are going mm. uh, with uh, collision avoidance technology, yeah. self-driving cars, yeah. whether um, the business, it's going to face significant uh, problems going forward because it's simply going to shrink. Yep. You're not going to have as many collisions essentially, are you, in terms of no. repairing? Absolutely. And then you've got, we're gonna, there's going to be a lot more Teslas and they've got a lot less electric vehicles have a lot less moving parts than mm. combustion engines. And um, typically, the, their model is you get them repaired with the actual manufacturer as opposed to a smash repair company. So um, it's these. I mean, it's just the the lesson from this is debt. It just had too much debt, and when everything was going along well, you know, the markets tend to ignore that kind of thing. But as soon as COVID hit, of course, no one could drive on the roads, and so there was suddenly there was no smash repair work. Almost stopped overnight. And the balance sheet was shown to be overly aggressive. And, um, you know, there's been numerous capital raisings these guys have done ever since to try and get that debt down. I think the only thing they've got going in their favor is the insurance companies need these guys to survive because if they go under, um, the insurance companies will then, like Suncorp flirted with actually doing this themselves and they said it's way too hard, they got back out of it but there will be a massive issue in terms of who's gonna fix everyone's cars, you know, mm. and the insurance companies will have to pay a lot more potentially. So I think there will be some support in that case, but I, I couldn't buy this stock. It's, there's, there's, there's too many shares on issue now. You know, they've, they've raised so many times. It's any value that was there. I mean, you can look at it and think, oh, six cents is cheap, but you gotta look at how many more shares are on issue now versus when they were a dollar. And I'm, I'm sure it's, gone through the roof so um, probably one to avoid still for me yep okay um, 
Mark, is that is that are you calling it an avoid, or are you saying if you're holding it, you're, you're stuck well, with it? I think it, you're so. just stuck with it, basically. Yeah. So, that, I it's mean, a forced hold. Well, it's a forced hold, essentially. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, but yeah, look, and I totally agree. The EV, I mean, they're, they're just genuinely will be less crashes. Yeah. Um, mm. I rented a Tesla to go up the coast recently, and and that auto drive functionality is just unbelievable. So yeah. you even if you moment, you know, a lot of crashes just mo- where you're momentary distraction, well, mm. it just removes all that. Well, it's taking, so. taking human error out of, isn't it? It so, does. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so yeah, and I, I mean, apart from that, I've basically, if there's more hailstorms, you might get more, but <laughs> that's really, that's really about it, so. Yeah. yeah. All right, so that's AMA Group, which is, uh, well, largely negative, as we just heard. All right, let's get into the uh, first five stocks. Uh, the first being, Bank of Queensland, James wanted to know about this. And uh, I was just taking a look at uh, Morgan Stanley, they're cutting the price target, in fact, from uh, 6,2560, expecting weak mortgage growth, market margin erosion, uh, transformation costs, plus it's got intensifying competition, particularly for deposits. Ben, what's your view on Bank of Queensland? Uh, yeah, it's not good. They're in a very tough space because the, um, as we've all been reading, the big four are in this ultra competitive kind of mood at the moment where they're giving some very nice attractive offers to get market share. And it's, you know, it's that old story, Andrew, like it's, it's very hard for the smaller guys. It's not a level playing field. They, they have to borrow the bulk of the money that they lend to consume it to their customers. Whereas CBA, um, you know, for most of the money that it lends, it actually comes from other people's cash accounts. Um, so it's tricky, and so I'd, I'd agree that they're, the only I, I'm going to go hold, and, and the main reason for that is the valuation has just got so cheap. You know, it's trading on eight times forward earnings now, and if you believe it, a seven and a half percent fully frank dividend yield. Um, so. Yeah, that's fairly incredible. That the, the other thing that's been an issue for Bank of Queensland has been this management stuff that's been going on. They've had, um, you know, the CEO's gone. They've had issues with the chairman. Um, that's rarely a good look. So um, there's a lot of there's been a lot of turmoil there during a difficult time. Um, so yeah, look, I'd say valuation is attractive enough to stick with it. Um, I wouldn't be buying it, uh, but I wouldn't be selling it either. Yep. Okay. Mark, yeah, it's not not for us. Um, I mean, especially you. I mean, banking hybrid ETFs. You're getting around about that seven and a half with no risk, basically at the moment. Um, that BHYB, you know, and Macquarie Bank's been extraordinarily aggressive at the moment with those term deposits and high interest accounts, etc. And um, the likes of Judo are just mm. miles ahead of most um, because they get that extra margin from the small medium enterprises. They're trying to, in a way, replicate CBA's model of having deposits fund um, fund their loans. So, yeah. and that that just makes that just makes self funding incredibly um, you know incredibly competitive, particularly when you when you're in the mortgage market. So, um, yeah, I I think this is sort of one you might if it stays cheap. Um, Maybe into next year when that competition calms down, we've got a little bit of stability in rates. Um, but I, I don't think you want to be involved in one with this, you know, with a tiny margin um, when there's sort of more, you know, high, you know, higher interest rates uh, for the first time in 15 years, one of the steepest hiking cycles um, 
if there is a wobble in the mortgage market, you probably want to be in the safety of something like CBA, where they you know they can maintain their margins a hell of a lot easier. So, um, or you know, like I said, Macquarie's I think has taken about a five percent bite out of the mortgage market in mm. Australia now. Mm. So, yeah. it's just it, it's going to be really tough, basically. And then you know, as Ben said, the management turmoil as well, and having to borrow externally. Um, it's, yeah, just a recipe for, uh, I think the dividend payout ratio is over 100% as well, which is yeah. never good in a high-rate high rate environment. That was fine when you were zero interest rates, but you know I think we'll start to see those above 100% dividend payout ratios sort of disappear yeah. now because it's just too expensive to maintain. So um, yeah, it'd be, I think you, I think you should probably, if you really want to hold a banking stock, maybe switch to CBA. Although, at the moment, if you if you're worried or cautious about the market, those banking hybrids and it's A-rated bond. Mm. I think seven point three percent after franking. It's pretty pretty safe and uh, consistent monthly income on those. So, and there's other other places you could have your money as it stands and see how yep. it see how that plays out next year. Yeah, interesting you say it is competitive, certainly in the mortgage market. I was shopping around for my own, sort of refinancing my own mortgage and Macquarie came out on top every time mm. I sort of took a look at it. It's sort of fairly compelling at the moment. They've been quite aggressive mm. in, um, in their rates at mm. the moment. Uh, all right, so uh, that's a no then essentially from you then, isn't it, Mark? No, I'd be selling and if you want the exposure, I think you'd drift to the safety of that of the banking hybrids or CBA as it stands. Um, yeah. I don't think you need to be there. Okay, all right. Uh, well, let's get into an insurer, certainly in the medical space, uh, NIB. Uh, this one is picked by Jenny, uh, did see a 43% increase in net profit uh, for FY23, high revenue volumes increased across all divisions there. Um, Mark, what are, you, what are your thoughts here in terms of NIB? It's looking relatively positive. I mean, it's not really just a health insurance company. They've got travel insurance, yeah. um, international health insurance um, coming in. Uh, really, these these health insurers, because the government's capping your margin upside, um, basically by setting the price, they have to they have to be a little bit innovative and provide these, um, these sort of peripheral products. So they've got these... Um, I think honeysuckle health and alternative um, alternative therapies and things that will keep you healthy, just, I guess. Um, but they obviously um, they charge, you know, they they'll charge for those services, but they get, they get the margin out of it. So I think they're pulling a lot of them, like um, you know, a lot of the health insurers will will obviously set up their own um, uh, optometrists and dentists and all sorts of things these days to try and sort of recoup that margin because they know that, the, that they know that essentially they're capped up to the upside um, from what they can get with the health insurance so and they're doing a lot of really innovative and positive things and that um, I think the uh, the travel insurance was the highest ever gross written premiums um, it was up about 130 uh, percent something in the last year so but not so much the health side of it, but the the other things that they're doing mm. um, and the fringe businesses um, look really look really positive. So, um, and look, I, I think they're sort of trying to create a bit of an ecosystem where you know you're going to their preferred suppliers, you're going to their or, or their centres, and and that just sort of they can take a little snip here, a little snip there, and increase their margins. So. Um, yeah, I was yeah. even looking at an advertisement I saw just recently, I think, where they say that they can organise your prescriptions and so on. It's sort of a, yeah. a go-to centre. It so, is. And like, yeah. I mean, we had Medibank when it, when it dipped because we were sort of playing on the um, on sort of consumer 
sort of lethargy really because while they had that cyber attack you know people just don't really change to be honest a hell of a lot so um and that that was a huge overreaction but it's not something i'm i'm, I'm liking this more and more it's not something we've really had on um traditionally when they were just focused on just the health insurance business but the more these guys expand out um the more interested we'll get but it's definitely a hold for me at the moment um yeah, and we'll just see how these expansions go with their um, with their fringe offerings. Yep, I'm just looking at his website. Get eight weeks free. So it's um, yeah, it's also it's sort of trying to it's going for the the uh, the new customer, isn't it? The the young uh, Australian that's uh, taking out private health insurance, perhaps. Um, ben, what yeah, are your thoughts. Um, it's a very well run business. The CEO's been there years and has done, a, I think, a great job. Um, Mark's made a lot of good points there, so I won't repeat them. I, I guess a couple of things I'd add on top of it, uh, that uh, it, these insurance companies become significantly more profitable in this current interest rate environment. You know, they've, they've got a, an amount of money that is set aside to pay out claims and they, they, the interest that they earn on that, um, they book as a profit. Uh, they've had a very weird experience, like many businesses did through COVID, where, you know, because no one could do anything or could go to a hospital, the claims were incredibly low. So I think, I guess that might be something that's a bit of a negative looking forward is we know there's this big backlog of people who need to get procedures done and what does the a normal, more normal claims environment look like coming out of COVID. Um, but, you know, I, I, look, I'm gonna say a hold um, just because 17 times forward, it's probably about right. I think if you could get this in the 13 to 14 team um, PEs, I'd, I'd be on it. Uh, but just the valuations, probably, I think the market's got it about right. Yeah. yeah okay. it's pretty, and as you said, it's very stable. Like Medibanks was a great example uh, that people don't leave. You know, they, they had all of their data was sold off to um, Russian hackers and um, when you looked at the amount of people left on the back, it was tiny. So mm. uh, th- th- it's, they are very sticky services. It's pr- unless there's some compelling reason to go, um, it's hard to stuff it up. <laughs> so yeah. It's getting new users coming on. Well, I guess and you also could take a look at it. The, if they will, you know, they've had a hack, the next insurer is going to have a hack. Completely. Uh, they're probably better defended now. Well, so. they're probably the least likely to be hacked. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we had a lot of doctor clients all that were the first ones to try and buy the dip in, in Medibank. And yeah. that was when I kind of it piqued my interest and went, well, that's it's two or three of them that have just immediately gone. This this will just blow over, and yeah. so there was a, there was a short term trade there, but it wasn't really on my radar until uh, until I had client, the uh, medical clients ringing up. So yeah, yeah. Well, it certainly has bounced back since then. All right, let's move on to our third stock. It is BWP <coughs> Trust. Uh, it's got a portfolio of commercial properties, the majority of which are actually Bunnings stores. Um, but it is dealing with higher debt and, of course, uh, property costs, which uh, is certainly dragging on growth there. Um, ben, BWP. We own this. Uh, it's a hold because I think, that the, again, the share price is kind of reflecting where it should be. So that the, the, main, um, the main metric you want to look at with property trust, so actually I reckon there's two. There's the NTA, which is the, um, you know, if you sold everything tomorrow and returned the cash, what would you get? 
um, based on independent valuations and gearing is another very important one when it comes to property trusts. These guys run a very conservative balance sheet. They've only got 15% debt to equity. Um, I think it's probably one of the highest quality property trusts on the ASX and I kind of base that on the fact that the, the buildings that they own they're so low maintenance, you know, they're effectively just massive sheds mm. and you're not dealing with constant turnovers of tenants um, in those sheds. So if you own a shopping centre, as we all know, like, you know, there's constantly shops coming and going, you've got, to, you've got to release, you've got to do incentives, you've got to do fit outs, you've got to continually update it. But um, the, uh, everyone's been to a Bunnings. Yeah, as you say, it's, it's a glorified sim- shed, isn't it, with a concrete floor. Exactly, so, yeah. you know, once they're done, the maintenance <clears throat> is very low. Um, Wes Farmers will typically sign a 15-year lease on these properties, so you just don't have turnover of tenants. When Wes Farmers has left some properties, because it's um, opened others, an IKEA, or they're pretty unique assets. Mm. You know, there's not those massive footprints with parking that you mm. find in inner-city locations typically. Um, and Wes Farmers, I think, owns about 23% of yeah. BWP. So there's a good alignment there between. Mm between the two companies. So I, you know, it's on a 5% yield, probably not that attractive anymore. <laughs> you get that in cash, but um, it's the value of these assets over time will continue to rise. And I think they run tight ship. Yep, okay, that's a hold from you then. Yep. Right. Yeah, I do like the you know, massive vested interest from the tenants um, being the, one of the biggest share, or if the biggest shareholder in, in the business as well. So um, long while, obviously, um, yeah, this was, Obviously, you know, a year or so ago when rates were a lot lower, you're looking at that yield and your eyes are popping out of your head. But the, um, <laughs> but the, but from a stability standpoint, absolutely, like you're not going to go too far backwards with this. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I do worry that their margin might be slightly limited, but um, to the to the upside because their biggest shareholder, you know, their biggest shareholders, their biggest is their tenant, but. But that, or I think that caps the downside as well. So um, having that, having that stickiness, so it'd be a hold for me. I, I, I prefer um, the industrial REITs, which these guys almost are really in a way. Um, but yeah, we, we don't have a huge allocation at the moment. Um, but I, I think um, there's one coming up of CIP. Yeah. Um, I think that's something we'd just be dollar averaging for the next year. I think they've got fantastic growth outlooks and, and these guys will as well, really. And this yield's a little bit higher as it stands at the moment and probably is just a, a slight bit safer because it's got that lower um, that lower leverage. I think uh, is more like 33%. These guys are 15 So um, these, are prob- these guys will probably have a slightly better margin for the next 12 months or, or more while everything's readjust. All right, well, you've segued it yourself, in fact, oh, because yeah. the next one is, yeah, oh, is Centurion Industrial REIT uh, CIP. So, Mark, you said you, you prefer this. Then, uh, look, its results are uh, pretty much in line with guidance. Um, all right, well, you tell us the story then, so why you like well, it. Well, it's, it's, Australia's got the lowest um, industrial vacancy rate of any country in the world. So it's about 1.1%. Um, actually, it may be slightly less than that. I think that's ahead of Sweden is 1.1%, it's number two. So, And there's a real demand for it in, in premium locations particularly, which these guys have. Um, their whale has dropped quite a bit in the last couple of years. There used to be around about 10 years, I think it's dropped... Um, I think it's dropped down quite a bit, but they're actually, 
I, I think they're seeing that as a positive because they get to release. Um, but they have got some really long, I think Arnott's and Australia Post have got 27-year leases in some properties and there's a Telstra Data Centre. Um, I probably would lean towards BWP um, at the moment um, just just because these guys have got that high, that 33% leverage. It is still way at the low end um, um, as it stands, but they're... Um, but I think the uh, I think BWP will just be a little bit more stable because obviously if we have something like you know country garden fall over the the sector will tend to you know if, um, will just be under pressure for a little bit and I think you, I think your BWP will will survive a little bit better. This CIP got quite slippery last year and once it got down to about two dollars fifty in very very quick fashion and was trading in a. A heavy discount to NTA, but um, we, we've got a plan to be buying just a dollar averaging in this one over you know over the next couple of year or so, um, just until and we'll probably just increase the allocation as as we as we feel the risks are, um, sort of clear. But there um, those premium properties next to those freeways and things with the distribution centres are just invaluable. Um, and of course, you know they've, they've been talking about it for years and years. But if they ever manage to uh, get the structural engineering right on getting second levels done on mm. some of those warehouses, well, it's going to be an, an absolute um, win for the likes of these guys in Goodman Group, etc. But um, I mean, that's that's uh, still a little way off. They've been talking about it for a long time, and mm. nothing's, nothing's happened. So, um, but yeah, but both of them are both of them are pretty high quality. I think you can safely you can safely buy. Buy a dollar average, just but yeah, just a little bit wary with that property sector because you know the sectors will tend to run together in a herd when when the when markets panic and you may end up getting them a little bit cheaper. So that's why we've sort of taken the dollar average approach. Yep. Okay. Well, I'll call it a buy. Yeah, yeah, that's got a that buy, yeah. on it. Yeah. Okay, Ben. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go hold. It, it does look cheap. Um, if you believe the valuations, it looks really cheap. Um, the debts to me is too high. You know, I think oh. 33% debt to equity is a bit too punchy. Um, I know, like I only had a quick look at it. I know that that debt is hedged for the next year or two, um, oh. but there is a time coming and we've seen, you know, really noticed with a couple of the um, Charter Hall trusts, like there's uh, CLW was one and CQR, um, which have like 50% unhedged debt, the kick up in the debt costs oh. is really um, coming through. And mm. with that is coming more like that debt to equity level is starting to push up again. Industrial is clearly the bright spot in the, um, in the property market for all the market reasons that Mark said. So I'd say it's a hold. Goodman for me is the standout, that's a buy. Um, it's got 5% debt to equity, just to put that into comparison also tend to prefer internally managed businesses. This is managed by an external fund manager. So there's you know, probably a bit of fee leakage that you don't get with Goodman. I reckon Goodman own higher quality industrial and it's a truly global industrial player. Um, and you know, Greg, like when he gave this result presentation, it's probably the most interesting one I listened to in that he saw the future with industrial um, 20 years ago and he really called out for the first time data centers as being a, a, a big part of Goodman's future and said it's not inconceivable. They could be you know, a really big part. So um, it's when your, your main partner globally is Amazon and he sort of said, I'm not making a call on data centers, I'm just listening to what the customers are saying when they're gonna mm. need. Um, and he's 
you know, that, that there's a lot of advantages that come with that. So uh, I think that would be the one in industrial I'd go for and I'd hold cent- Centuria. Yep, okay. All right, let's move on to a uh, listed investment company, Australian Foundation Investment. Uh, just taking a look at its performance, in fact, over the past five years, slightly outperformed the ASX uh, 200. It's coming at about 10.6 per annum. The ASX uh, around close to 10%. Um, okay, Ben, what are your thoughts here? I'll go sell on this one. Just it's it's one of the old school look. I say sell, but I can't see a catalyst for why it's going to change. But if you look at, you know, Wham, we used to have Milton, Tegeroa, these these um, listed investment companies have got incredibly sticky investor bases, I think, you know, sort of a lot of people that never really are interested in selling. But it's trading at $7, uh, sorry, the pre-tax NTA is $7.20, the post-tax NTA is $6.08, and that's because it's owned a lot of its shares for years and years and years. So there's big gains there that haven't had tax paid. So theoretically, which won't happen, but if it were to happen, if this was wound up, you'd get $6.08 back and you're paying $7 for it in mm. today's market. So, um, and if you look at their portfolio, it's very close to index. You know, it's it's the banks, mm. it's BHP, yeah. yeah. etc. So, you know, I'd, sort of probably buy an ETF. If I was mm. looking at this, you're buying $7 for $7. Um, I haven't looked at AFIX fee structure in a while, but they've always, I think, been you know very competitive. So there might not be a big difference there. But the fully frank dividends are the things that always attract everyone because mm. uh, they've got a lot of retained franking credits. Um, it's a well-managed blue chip thing. You're not going to go wrong in it. You don't need to freak out and sell it. But would I be buying it? Definitely not. And I guess it's probably a hole, but just to mix things up, I'll say sell. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Uh, we haven't had one yet. Okay. Well, or have we? Yes, we have. Okay. Let's round it out then. Uh, no, because I want to hear your views, Mark. I've, I've um, jumped ahead. They're not, well, they're not much different to Ben's, to be honest. Um, okay. I think it's a it's straight one. Established yeah. in 1928, and I think the business model doesn't seem like it's changed a lot since 1928. <laughs> right. So, uh, and it's very close to the index. The fees are like 0.16, so mm. that is actually really low fees. Yeah, that's good. They don't take performance fees. Um, so you're getting what you pay for, basically. It's not... Um, you know, if you if you want more performance, um, you know, go and find a um, you know an alternative asset manager, etc. Or, or you you pick your own shares. But it, it's pretty basic. It does what it says on the box. Um, if you just want to do set and forget, I don't see any. Like, but I mean, an ETF would be exactly this. An index ETF would be just about exactly the same. Um, yeah, I wouldn't certainly wouldn't buy it. Um, and I think you could probably find, you know, if you if you spend a little bit of time, you'd probably outperform it. Um, but so yeah. you could find a reason to sell it. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, I I wouldn't own it. I definitely wouldn't own it. So it's um it's just it's you can largely do probably probably watch the call every day. You probably do just as good, if not better. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because a lot of the, the holdings were pretty, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty index um, uh, aware. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of other things out there you could do. Um, you could do a little bit better with with a bit more research. Yep, fair enough. All right. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's sum up where we've been for the first half of the show. Our stock of the day, AMA Group. Uh, it's back trading after. Uh, 
a, uh, a raise there. But um, just taking a look at the issues, I mean, Ben mentions just too much debt there. It's too diluted now. Uh, Mark pointing out the costs are rising. We were also talking about just what's going on with these thematics as far as, look, uh, given it's a smash repair, there are likely to be fewer smashes. Fewer bingles, essentially. So that's um, going forward for the business. But it's uh, it's a hold, a forced hold from from Mark and uh, Ben is just not interested. All right. In terms of the ones as picked by you, Bank of Queensland, there a hold from Ben uh, saying, look, it's certainly harder for these smaller players, but it does look cheap. Uh, Mark, though, he's got to sell on it. Uh, it's, let's uh, move to NIB. There's a double hold. Um, Mark, um, he's liking it as it diversifies more for the insurer beyond just straight medical insurance. Uh, Ben pointing out it is a well-run business, but it is a double hold. BWP Trust, uh, the investment, uh, real estate investment trust there. uh, Ben says they actually own it, so he's got a hold on it. This dealing with most of the leasing just as far as Bunnings stores are concerned. And Mark also a hold, calling it a, a stable business. Uh, similarly, in that space, Centuria Industrial REIT, a buy from Mark. Uh, and when a hold from Ben Saint does look cheap, but debt is looking too high at this point, he prefers Goodman. And rounding out there, Australian Investment uh, Foundation Investment, the, the LIC, uh, is a sell from Ben and Mark is not interested. All right, so let's uh, catch up with our own portfolio, the High Conviction Fund, picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that is live here to watch at ausbiz.com. So checking in on the portfolio update into September. Paradigm Pharma is out giving way to Challenger, which also received 1% trims from each of Altium and Paladin. And so far, our fund, look, I don't have the exact uh, figures there as to what it is up, but we'll, uh, we'll come back to that just in terms of its performance since its inception at uh, the beginning of March last year. All right, so keep your requests uh, coming in. Keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. Well, next for us, in terms of the next five stocks, we're going to take a look at Reliance Worldwide. Uh, Navigator Global Investments, Tyro, Costa Group, and Technology One. So Reliance Worldwide, uh, it is in that plumbing space. It's got a global footprint, uh, plumbing solutions essentially. Uh, FY23 results, pretty much in line, maybe beating on many metrics there. Uh, in the Americas, is looking good. EBITDA there up 19%, although growth slowed in the second half. Uh, whereas in the Asia Pac region. Uh, it's uh, come off somewhat. Uh, Mark, what are your thoughts on Reliance? Um, it's a pretty solid company uh, historically. Um, they, I think one of their biggest products is this shark bite product. Um, they actually had an update for the first time in 20 odd years uh, to the product, which has been received pretty well by their. Um, um, from the plumbers and, and the channel partners, etc. So uh, they managed, I think, cash flow um, increased by about 110%, which meant they were able to reduce their uh, their net borrowings by $116 million. So that's a bit of a tick for me in reduction of debt. Um, they've got new products, obviously, as well, and there's some efficiencies coming in um, in their manufacturing um, and distribution, uh, which sort of gives a few synergies to both the APAC and the Americas region, um, which will save both operations a little bit of money as well. So they're doing they're doing all the right things at the moment, and they've they've well, it's a business that has performed pretty well. I mean, there's the, the likes of James Hardy at the moment are 26 plus times um, PE, and 
this one's sort of back around 16. Um, it's, yeah, if I think in that industrial space, um, we don't hold a lot in that at the moment, but um, this one seems relatively cheap um, as it stands. And, and if, you know, if they're, uh, the new product developments and those cost savings come through and the debt reduction, they all tick a lot of boxes um, for us. So um, I, I mean, I could call it a buy. It's not really a space we're, we're allocating a lot of money to at the moment. Um, so with higher interest rates, we're a bit of a wait and see in the industrials, uh, and they've been extraordinarily volatile. I think we've gone, the likes of James Hardy, I think it was the worst performing stock on the ASX mm. like last year, and then it's bounced 50% this mm. year. So it's um, you know it's going to move around, but this one looks relatively cheap here at the moment. Um, so yeah, I'm happy to call this one a buy, but they're... Um, but yeah, it's if we, we if we do see interest rates start to bite and renovations and new houses um, slow, uh, particularly in the US, because there's not a lot of movement in the housing market there. People are staying with their mortgage because the mortgage is attached to the house, so mm. um, there's not a, their home sales have sort of been been dropping away. Um, but uh, and and I think new home sales have been dropping away as well. So it's. You probably have to be a little bit wary, but yeah, it, I think they're doing all the right things um, from a management point of view. Uh, so yeah, happy to call it a buy as, as it stands at the moment. Yeah, okay, all right. Ben? Yeah, I reckon it looks pretty interesting as well. We used to own this business and sold out of it a couple of years ago. I mean, I, the thing I learned about it when we did own it is there's a lot of moving parts in it, more than you'd expect. So like as examples, um, the copper price is a big part of this business in terms of its margins because um, a lot of its fittings are made out of brass. Yeah. And um, so that's that's good for it at the moment. Mm. Copper's friendless and, mm. yeah. um, and, and demand's held up, I think, a lot better than everyone thought. There's a large part of this company's um, sales are non-discretionary. So, you know, if you have a pipe that bursts, it, ne- it needs to be fixed immediately and that's mm. where Shark Bite comes in. Uh, they've done a lot of interesting stuff in water, like in these Evoplex sort of products. Um, so like the, I really rate the CEO. I think he's top notch. It, it is a difficult business, I think. You know, as I said, you know, the operations all over the world, in Europe, America, um, there's a, you know, on their cost side, there's a lot of things that can move on them. The demand is hard to stimulate unless the conditions are going well. And you could probably make some good cases for why or why not that might change. But I think, like, I've got it on sort of 15 times forward. That looks pretty good to me. Uh, we yeah. just sold out a Reese recently. I was trading on 32 times forward earnings. So, um, it, it, like, in that space, it looks pretty cheap. So mm. I'll, I'll go buy as well. Why did you sell it two years ago? Uh, it ran very hard. And the, the thing I learned was that when everything went in the right direction for them, it's probably time to get out. Yeah, okay. And um, you can sort of see there's been, this has been a business where there's been good periods to own it and bad periods. It hasn't really done much over a full five years. So um, I guess I'm kind of talking myself out now because <laughs> <laughs> copper price, I think, can only go one way from here. Yeah. Uh, but um, with those new products, they are trying to wean themselves off brass. So there's there's some different alloys and stuff that they've been using. Um, but like this this product is a genuinely Australian company that is a big player in America now. Home mm. Depot and Lowe's stock this a lot of their products and it's done very well. I guess yeah, you, you've got the fittings that I guess are still you know, largely use copper, but a lot of the the piping is now just plastic, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. But there's still it, it's quite intensive. There's inventory issues that you need to make sure you don't want too much inventory, and you want to make sure you've got enough. 
you want to make sure that if a plumber needs to get it, to get it. Like I remember the guy who's called Hugh Sharp, the CEO, he was sort of saying the biggest thing when they came to market was they were trying to re-educate plumbers, particularly in America, about what they've got because, you know, plumbers are very reluctant to change the way they do things because they don't like going back and fixing things if something goes wrong. Mm. And um, the way that um, plumbing's always worked, it's, it's, it's been um, completely refitting um, the existing copper pipes. And so what um, Sharkbite allows you to do is just cut those pipes and reattach them together without ripping it all out and replacing it. Yeah. Um, and he said, you know, that'll be a long work in progress. We don't expect the 50-year-old plumbers to stop now and start something else, but the younger guys coming through, we're looking at. So. Yeah, it's interesting. I had a chat with the, the last plumber that came to my place and he was saying that given the materials they use today, a lot of that, that uh, copper piping has been replaced by plastic and the flexible hosing, it just yeah. doesn't last. And yeah. therefore, you yeah. can see that continual yeah. Yeah. Yeah, update. Yeah. yeah. All right, so that's Reliance Worldwide. It is a double bias, so I guess that is one for our committee to consider next time they meet. All right, let's move on to Navigator Global Investments, picked by Anna. Uh, it's the listed parent of Lighthouse Investment Partners based in the US, which manages global hedge fund solutions. Um, its last results pretty much in line with forecasts, or that, uh, based on, I guess, higher management fee revenue at the same time. Ben, what can you tell us about this one? This has been a real mystery sort of stock to me. It looks so cheap. It's trading on six times forward earnings um, and a yield of 4%. Uh, it's been massively volatile for years. It's always looked cheap, so I wouldn't be too, like don't think you're getting a bargain paying six times because it seems to fluctuate around that level quite a bit. I don't know why. Um, well, I think one reason why is they, they have this, um, they're like pinnacle but it's a lot of alternate and hedge fund managers and the returns of those underlying managers tend to be very volatile and so i think the market's always struggling to work out what are they going to earn next year how does it look like they they have been growing their assets under management you can see they're really like it's been a dud the, the, the stock's done nothing for some time and it was a lot higher some years ago they have just done a raising, I think, recently to increase their holding in one of their managers. Um, so I'm going to go hold, Andrew, because I, I think it's very hard to know what this business's earnings are going to look like in another three to five years compared to today. Not the sort of business we typically buy. Right. Mark. Uh, I'm glad you said mystery because it was, uh, I spent a fair bit of time on this and I found myself not, not too much further ahead, to be really <laughs> honest. Um, I would and I made a few assumptions and when we went back to the financial metrics, I just found that they were was completely converse to what I thought would be happening. The performance fee revenue, I would have thought in a range-bound market, hedge funds would be making, because mm. uh, they're quite active, would be making more money, but their performance fees dropped by a good 40% last year. So whilst their management, you know, their funds under management, their management fee came up, mm. um, not by nowhere near as much. But uh, yeah, it's, I, I just would have thought this would be, you know, alternative assets are becoming a lot more popular. Um, mm. Things like um, AFI that we had before, I think that's where you've sent a lot of redemptions in those traditional fund managers. But, um, but yeah, I this one for me was just a little bit too complicated, realistically. I, I think if you're going to go into alternative asset, you, I think you probably should be, you, um, you, I wouldn't be using necessarily like an aggregator um, because they are so volatile. You, 
if you're uh, if you're going to make that investment decision, I, I think you probably want to be looking at it yourself um, and and trying to trying to pick the good teams. Um, but yeah, it's it was a little bit of a mystery to me. It didn't yield enough. Um, the, the technically, there was just too many unknowns. I, I don't really like investing in things <coughs> where I, I don't. I can't have any sort of predictive um, nature to to where it's going to be in a year's time. So yeah, you sort of you, you know you might get lucky, you might not. We just don't play that game. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's not a sell, it's a hold. If, if you're or comfortable, no. but it's, it's well, you go. No, you just say you're not. Yeah, interested. I, I'm just not interested. No, yeah. it's it, it. But I think I think Ben, you agree, don't you? Really? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, there's so many moving parts inside this business. Um, I think you need to be Houdini to try and work out. <laughs> yeah. And the, the market's telling you that. You know, yeah. if stocks don't trade on six times forward without good reason. Okay, that is Navigator. Let's move on then to Tyro. And uh, that is the payment solutions uh, systems that it offers. Uh, last results there, it's uh, transaction value processed up uh, close to 25%, group revenue up 33%, gross profit up 32%. Mark? Yeah, they had a really good day. Obviously, when uh, when they reported and they called cash flow positive, there's a new management team in there now as well. Um, this is going through. There's been quite a bit of key staff movement by the looks of things. Um, and they, they, everyone looks, you know, it's really good experience across the board. Um, you know, in in every position. Um, Obviously, it was a really good result. I'm, I'm pretty. They're partnered up with Telstra now as well. Um, I think they're offering. The, it's Tyro's backing the Apple, where you can pay uh, by a tap on an Apple mm. phone now. Um, so they've been very innovative. Um, all of their numbers, record total new merchants, um, it's over seventeen thousand. Um, I think the the thing that always attracted me to this was the the medical part where. Having the you know the high caps yeah. machine, you were forced you were basically forced to have it. My my wife's in um, allied health, and we we had to deal with it basically um, because there was no one else that actually. And and the fellow who brought that into the business is now the is now the CEO. So that was always my favourite part of the business anyway. Um, but yeah, I think things are looking up for these guys. Um, they're in the the menu, the table menus. Um, I think they reduced their holding in that a little bit, but um, that's sort of where you scan the QR code instead of the waiter and etc. They're um, so they're not just they're not just the pure payment systems at the moment. And I, I yeah I it's been a rough ride. I've got to say. I mean if, for the last couple of years it just really and that class action now has like any appeals the period time period is now lapsed. So that's that's at least a little bit of sh- um, surety. But yeah they're. Um, I'd be happy to buy this at the moment, but only mm. probably a speculative buy. Um, there is a there's big competition, um, mm. yeah, you know, for the likes of Square and things like that, and I it it could turn on them pretty quickly. But I I like their business plan. They've got Tyro Pro, Tyro Go, Tyro Byo. Like they've they're 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 really innovating to keep their customer base. Um, and I, and if they can continue to do that, their their merchants are pretty sticky. So. All right, speaky buy from you, Ben. Yeah, I'm a buy as well. We we own this stock. It's been a nightmare since we've owned it. Yeah, I swear they're cursed. You know, they mm. soon as they listed, COVID hit. Mm. They're they were so hospitality focused. Then as soon as it opened back up, the um the company that provides the hardware had a massive outage for like two or three weeks yeah. over Christmas, which is the busiest time of year. Uh, it just feels like every time they get some clear air, another and you know we've seen this lawsuit um, 
post a very good result um, from a reseller, which I'm still trying to understand. But I know my barista, Joe, told me it was, he couldn't believe this light speed, how they um, sort of put their cafe over the, over the barrel and told them they had to move. So there's something going on there. But I, I still like the business. And, and Mark's right, like it's now nearly got more medical merchants than it does hospitality merchants. And I think John, the CEO there's done a really good job improving the quality of the earnings. Um, they partner with Apple to roll out this um, BYO thing. So I think you'll see a lot of tradies potentially start to take that up. That's the kind of market that they're targeting. Um, profitable for the first time, cash flow positive and good merchant um, acquisition. So uh, the, the question the analysts have all had has been, you know, like we've all been talking about it for the last six months, is the economy going to go off a cliff and is everyone mm. going to stop going out to lunch? And like just as an example, Merivale, Justin Hemi's, um, um, you know, all his restaurants, that's their biggest client in hospitality. He's, he's got Tyra across all of their things. He, I think he was a shareholder at one stage. And, right. Um, it, it hasn't happened. Like mm. The spend has held up for mm. now. I know everyone says for now, but they're, they're, they are diversified more now. So every analyst upgraded on the back of the result and a number went to, a number went to buy. They're all pretty wary of this one. So I'm going to go buy as well. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a double buy. So that, that is another one to be considered by the committee. Let's move on into Costa Group. It is Australia's, um, one of Australia's largest uh, producer, wholesale exporter of uh, fresh fruit and veggies. And Ben, essentially, what's ag stock, isn't it? It's, yeah. I mean, you know, dependent on the weather and other factors as well. So what, what do you think of Costa? Uh, so I say hold because there's this long running takeover talks between mm. the larger shareholder, shareholder Payne Schwartz and Costa. Payne Schwartz used to own Costa. They then floated onto the Australian share market. So they know the business backwards. Um, as I said, they own nearly 20% of the stock. You can see there the market has a serious case of the yips because there was a $3.50 bid plus a four cent dividend on the table from these guys. And then when Costa reported, they had a small downgrade. And that's got everyone fretting that is the takeover bid gonna get pulled? We've seen it, a lot of them have. I suspect, if I was guessing, I reckon there's no way it will, but it could definitely get reduced. And oh. maybe like with Origin, you know, it's 320, 330 or something like that. It was a pretty small downgrade. Mm. Um, if there wasn't the takeover stuff there, I wouldn't be in Costa. I, I, it's just been way, like the moving parts in Navigator that look small compared to Costa. Yeah. Mm. It's, there's so many things, the weather, pest, labor costs, what prices you're selling strawberries and oranges for, import, mm. export markets, um, um, drought, flood, you know, all of these things. It's, it's incredibly hard for a share market. And you know, I think you can see there, really just gone sideways five years so um yeah not one for me long term but i, I would stick in it if okay if I was in there. yeah yeah maybe reluctantly but yes okay yeah i look like a lot of agriculture it, it looks fantastic on paper um <laughs> and and then the practicalities of you know weather events etc and they've got geographical diversity as well they're, they're global um and then that sort of they're obviously in an effort to sort of um, to smooth out that seasonality as well, and 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 obviously if there's a drought somewhere, you know you 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 can at least smooth your revenues uh, and your income uh, when being in two different locations. Um, 
but prices are extraordinarily volatile um, you know in the individual fruits that they um, so timing is just such a massive thing for these guys I mean you go to the supermarket blueberries can be two dollars a pound mm. or they can be nine dollars a pound mm. it mm. just depends on and you've really got to know when other people are producing and where and I mean I think they have an advantage then in terms of they'd be able to bring um, berries to market when there's when there's shortages because of the, that geographical diversity. But yeah. it, it's it, the complexity is like a Swiss watch. Like there's, it, it's, if you've got a good enough management team to manage that, then fantastic. But you would it'd be near impossible job overall. Um, we've we've uh, you know previous company I worked at there um, the analysts really liked it and just. Just coming from a farming background, I was always pretty wary. Just on the back of the fact that you know, you see, you see business analysts go through an agricultural business plan and go, "Oh no, we're just going to make." Fit. But then, yeah, mm. there's always a, there's always a um, some sort of anomaly that comes through, um, and it's really really difficult to manage um, and and pivot very quickly. You've got to have very experienced um, people in there, so. Yeah, I yeah. If you've got it, hold it. I but I wouldn't be buying it for new money um, mm. at the moment. Uh, and yeah, it's it's way. All right, I'm calling that a double reluctant hold. Yeah, <laughs> on Costa Group. All right, let's round it out. We're into the tech space uh, with Technology One, and uh, it uh, develops uh, sales support, financial management, and enterprise software solutions uh, for universities, councils students, financial institutions and the like. Uh, and look, it's been one of the best performers, really. And it's been one of the fan favourites there, I guess. So tech one. Mark, what are you seeing ahead? I'm probably not the best person to ask on this one because I think every time I've looked at it in the last two years, I've gone, oh, I've probably trimmed some here and then I've just been wrong, really. Um, it, it just continues to perform. as one of those, it, it always maintains a high PE and then always seems to justify it in the end. Hugely sticky customers, great company. Um, yeah, so I'm probably going to fall into the same trap here again and just go, I, I, I just can't bring myself to buy something that's around that 60 PE, but I'll, I'll yet again probably be proven to be wrong. Um, so I'll probably just defer to bet on this one because so it's one of my bogey stocks that I just All right, come on, you're going to make a call though. I, look again. I'd be. I'd, I'd probably be trimming. I think it's expensive, but you know, as I said, I, I think I said that at eleven dollars, twelve dollars, thirteen. You might be right so one day. I'll be well, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, yeah, right. I'd, I'd rather the viewers not uh, not go, have to have to go through the pain of my bad advice on this stock. <laughs> okay, Ben, over to you. I've had this the last three times I've been on the course, oh, <laughs> and I've right. got it. Okay. This has been a bogey one for me as well. Never yeah. owned it. Always thought pretty small market, Australian focused, but it's very high quality. It's been very well run. I still wouldn't buy it. I'm probably going to be wrong as well. And But I, I, I'd base that off like the last few years, a lot of, um, um, I think the PE kick up has been driven by the company moving its customers off term licenses into, into the cloud and onto a true SaaS business. And with that has come a big re-rate of the multiple. And I think that's largely played out now. So I, maybe it holds this multiple, but now the earnings have got to do the work. Um, and I would say, as with Goodman, probably prefer others where you can see they're growing on a global stage and the growth 
could be much more significant if you're paying 50 times forward earnings yeah. for a business. Um, yeah. Every business at the right price, but to me it's too pricey. So what a, a no, not even holding it then? I'm a no, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. All right, let's uh, sum it up then. The second half of the show, and we began with Reliance Worldwide in the Plumbing Solutions has a global footprint. Uh, Mark uh, certainly says it's performed well, relatively cheap. It's a buy as it is for Ben. So one for the community to consider. Uh, he said, in fact, uh, ben, they used to own it, uh, but now we've slapped another buy on it. All right, Navigator Global Investments, a very different story there. And I guess we could call it opaque, mysterious, uh, difficult to get to the bottom of it. Uh, ben does sort of have a bit of a reluctant hold on, I guess, a no from Mark. Uh, Tyro Payments, a, another double buy. In fact, a specky buy from Mark, a buy from, uh, from Ben, he, they already own it. Uh, seeing some good potential there, certainly as far as diversifying in the payments space. Costa Group, uh, yeah, the vagaries there that are involved in the business. Um, once again, very complex, both point that out, uh, but it is a double hold. And for Tech One there, Mark's trimming and Ben, no, but they point out they both got it wrong in the past. So let's wait and see how that pans out for them. All right. Thank you to our guest, Ben. Great to see you. Thanks for Thank joining us the TMS and Mark from NPC. Thank you. Good one. All right. Uh, of course, uh, any stocks you'd like us to cover, go to osbiz.co forward slash callpicks or tweet us at osbiztv. Stay with us. The Pulse is up next. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.